So the social platform that you should focus on, at least to start, is the one that you open on your phone when you're in line at the grocery store. Gone are the days where you need to be on a certain platform to attract a certain audience. Everyone is everywhere nowadays. I prioritize the platforms that I actually enjoy spending time on. Joining me from the sunny state of Florida, it's Phil Palin. Phil is the founder and brand strategist of Phil Palin Collective, where he helps people and companies position, build, and promote their brands. This was an insightful conversation, especially as an industry where we're looking to continue to evolve how we build our own personal brands, given the relationship orientation of this business. Phil is a social media genius, and we take a deep dive into his strategies behind his social media platforms and understanding the importance of remembering what our audience actually wants, what they want to read, what they want to learn about, what they want to hear. Not necessarily hear it in a positive way, but what do they want to know more about? Phil also expresses the importance of exploring and experimenting on what your boundaries look like from the perspective of your audience when you're creating a strategy around producing content. This is for the advisor that's looking to grow their business, to build their brand, utilizing one of the most powerful tools out there that we can all use, which is social media. So this episode was filled with so much insight, and I personally took so many tips from Phil in just this hour episode. So without further ado, let's jump into this episode of Bridging the Gap with Phil Palin. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Phil Palin, welcome to Bridging the Gap, my friend. How are you? How is how's everything happening in the Phil Palin world these days? It's good. It's so nice to meet you and to be on this podcast and to spend the valuable minutes that we have together. I think it's going to be fun for both of us and for the listener. Things are good. I'll, you know what? I, um, I had a rough day yesterday. I was on my flight back from Columbia and I got food poisoning from the airport lounge. And oh, my that goodness. was unpleasant. That made for a very unpleasant day, but I'm back, bouncing back better than ever today. So I'm happy that we're chatting today and not yesterday. Hey, I have to tell you, I mean, you bounce back better than anybody I know. I mean, you it's like nothing ever happened. I can't even tell anything happened. If you didn't tell me, I'd be like, gosh, Phil's just, you know, just happy. He's healthy. Nothing's wrong. Looking good. And look at that. Yesterday was totally different. Thank That's you. awesome. <laughs> well, yeah, Phil, I mean, and like you're saying, it's great to meet you. That's one of the reasons I love a podcast is because you just get to meet really interesting people and it, it gives us an opportunity to have a conversation like we would over coffee and hopefully we share some insight that other people can take away. And in this conversation, I was telling you before we start recording, you know, I was researching, listening to your podcast a little bit and doing some research on you and I, I just find your background super intriguing and, and super valuable to this industry. I think you've got tons of perspective that I'm really looking forward to digging into. And, you know, I've got a ton of questions that we're going to go down, but we're just going to have it as a conversation. But before we even get into that, I always like to just learn about the person, right? Phil Palin himself. And I always like to ask the question, you, you have your, your own collective, your own agency, you're helping individuals from marketing to branding, to content, to social, to everything of that nature. You know, I always like to ask though, you know, what did the 13 year old Phil Palin want to be? Was this what he wanted to do? Own his own agency and focus on marketing? Uh, or was it something different? Good question. So I wasn't entirely sure at age 13. I remember high school, I guess that would have been early days of high school. I shadowed an architect 
because I thought that would be a cool job. I used to love looking at like floor plans, you know, almost like this like structured design, which does make sense, uh, what I ended up pursuing. But I remember shadowing an architect for a day and I thought, you know what, this is not as cool as I thought. I thought it was like decorating houses and making cool buildings and stuff, but it was so much math and so much like engineering. And I was like, nope, that's not me. Um, <laughs> high school into university, I did theater and I did more media. So I actually studied media in, in university and hosted a lot of events and did some radio stuff and did some television. And so media for me, that was definitely a no brainer that I wanted to do something in that world, in that space. I, I left Canada where I grew up uh, for the US 2010, I think it was. I studied at Full Sail University in Florida, uh, which is an entertainment specific school, same day graduated, moved out to LA and pursued actually TV hosting for about a month because that was, I was like, this, you know, this is my chance. This is my shot. And discovered very quickly, Matt, that a lot of people wanted those jobs. A lot of people were willing to wait in a line of a hundred people, a thousand people to get one job for a month or two months and then be unemployed again and then rinse and repeat actors and hosts. Like what a, that's a tough life unless you're super successful, which doesn't happen overnight. So instead of pursuing hosting, I thought I can support the people in this world. And so my first niche as a brand strategist was actually TV hosts, helping people build their brands and their social media strategy to try and win a job in an audition. And that was kind of how it all started. I love that. Now, you said you you were a TV host for one month. Were you actually on a TV show or were you just in, in training to be a TV host? I was in training to be a TV host, but I actually was a host when I was not 13. I think I was 14. I may have been 13. I have to go back and like look at the years. I think I was 14 when I was a host on a on a actually a reality show on a, like a kid's show, uh, in Canada and it aired across the, the country. Like it's so vintage now. If you go back, I had like long shaggy hair, but it introduced me to media. It introduced me to storytelling. It wasn't just like saying lines to the camera. It was also working with the producers to create a story arc and figure out what's the most interesting aspect of what happened. How do we capture that? How do we distill it down into a really poignant, exciting message? Like, those are all themes of what I do day to day now. And certainly that was my first kind of exposure to it. That's incredible. And I mean, I think that, you know, it shows, you know, from your time of wanting to be an architect and then seeing I had too much engineering, it was like your creative side, right? Like the creativity yeah. that's needed to, to excel in what you're doing day to day is so necessary. And it just showed that you had that at 13, whether you're an architect or not. And I love that you wanted to be a, a TV host. And it reminds me of when I was growing up, you know, I always had a desire to either play professional baseball or be a sports broadcaster. I wanted to be mm -hmm. like Stuart Scott. And then I realized that in order to, and one of my buddies from growing up is now a, um, he's a TV anchor and he wanted to be a sports broadcaster too, but, and he actually did it. I did not. I realized that you had to go to like these like really small little towns and work there for like long periods of time. And like, you don't just get the call up to Bristol, Connecticut to go work for sports center. No. It's like, you got to go to, I don't even know a small little town, like, you know, Tifton, Georgia and, yes. and, and work there for, you know, six years and then move your way up. And I was like, I'm out. I don't know about that. And so, yeah. uh, it's the same thing with TV. I was like, TV is so hard. Like these people that get on there, it's so 
long and such a time commitment to get there. How did you help these companies, individuals? I'm curious, build their brand and 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 did you help them accelerate that path, or was it just a matter of helping to get exposure? But I would think that that accelerates it in general over time. Definitely the acceleration piece. I think an interesting for this conversation in your brand. I decided it's almost exactly the same story. Even my best friend that I studied with is now a news anchor in the U.S. And she studied. That's she crazy. did the small market, worked her way up, and I thought, wow, I'll admire. I'll always admire her, but I just I couldn't. I I couldn't imagine myself doing the same thing. I think for me, moving out to L.A., I didn't. For me, also part of this was financial. Like I didn't. I didn't imagine a world where I could live month to month or live with that uncertainty of not knowing when my next paycheck will come. And so for me, I thought, well, I still want to have a foot in that world. I still want to be connected, but I, I need something that's a bit more structured and a bit more reliable. And how funny that I ended up becoming an entrepreneur, not even really intentionally, but I've always seen entrepreneurship as more reliable than going and working for someone because I as long as your brand or business, I use those terms interchangeably, as long as they're positioned around something people need and are willing to spend money on, then that's really your your ticket to security uh, versus going and working for someone else and ultimately that person could fire you. And that's not secure anymore, right? To have such an important thing in someone else's hands, that stresses me out. But I think my approach with hosts at the time was similar. It's like, okay, you are if you want to win a spot on a show, you need to bring a strong argument to the table. You need to argue like a lawyer would. Here's the case of my client. This is why they're not only skilled to host your show, but they also bring an audience to the table. They have access or they have what we would call the privilege of platform. Mm. Someone who has followers on social media or Instagram, someone that has proven success in an area of expertise. Even if the host that they're up for, you know, to, to, to host, even if that brand is slightly different than what their expertise is in, it's still what we would call proof of concept. You've proved that you know how to share your expertise, inspire others, build community, and having that proof of concept makes it a, a stronger argument for someone to say, you know what, this person is perfect. Not only are they a great host, but they also know how to promote and sell and and engage and grow the audience. And so it's kind of a two for one deal. Yeah, that's super interesting because it also leads into kind of the next kind of set of questions that I have because, you know, building a brand is so difficult, right? And especially in, in this business, this is a relationship business within wealth management, right? People right. don't buy the brand. They buy the person, trust and belief in that individual. And that individual has to build a brand. And so often in this industry, how it's been is it's been that you rely on the brand of the company you're working for to bring people right. in and then you sell them. And to your point, like there's a high risk to that. There's a high mm-hmm. risk. You're you know, if some if if there's something that happens with that brand name, it impacts you and your livelihood and your families. And so the best thing that you can do is go build your own personal brand to create security for you. You still can work for a business. So I'm curious, like let's just get into the guts of it. What are some of the key aspects and things to think about when building a personal brand, right? Where do people go right and where do people go wrong when it comes to building a personal brand, which sometimes you know, seems easy, but I think is really difficult? Yeah, I think it's interesting also um, 
to hear you've said twice now that building a brand is hard. I think it's less hard when you know the steps you're supposed to take. And the steps for me don't change regardless of industry. I find it really exciting to be on a podcast like this to talk to a specific audience that maybe I'm less familiar with day to day because the the process for building a brand doesn't change company or person, regardless of industry, regardless of platform as it stands now. The process is exactly the same. I was actually thinking between the time that I booked this interview with you and the time that we're actually chatting today, I switched over where I had my investments and my 401k, my Roth IRA, all of this stuff to a new banker and a new bank because of the relationship that I had with that banker, the trust I felt, mm. that relationship, that ex- that access that I have. So it's funny you mentioned this, and I love how it says on your homepage, it's like the people aspect of banking is never going to change, right? So as we think about building a brand, remember, it's a little bit like online dating, okay? So we're trying to achieve consistency between the in-person experience and the online version of ourselves. So to bring it back to this example of online dating, let's say you're on one of the apps and you're swiping left and right and you go to meet someone in real life. You've consumed their profile, their little bio, their photos, a little description about them. And then you go to meet that person in real life and they're nothing like how they've portrayed themselves. That's never a positive experience. So when it comes to branding, I actually... I accept your challenge of thinking that it's hard. I don't think it's hard if you have the steps. The, the, the goal here is to achieve consistency between the in-person experience and the online version of ourselves. The best branding recreates the in-person experience. And so typically, I break this into three stages. Position your brand, build something to show for it. So photography, brand identity, or logo a website, potentially, social media profiles, right? That's under the build. Finally, promote, stick a for sale sign out front of that house and, you know, take that house to market and sell it. And you ask, what are some of those, what are some of the mistakes that people make? The mistake I see the most is people jump too quickly to that final stage, promoting your brand until you've done the necessary work to, to build or to revisit the positioning and the build of a brand. Those are absolutely essential. You know, I think, and I love your challenge, and I, and I think that there is a unfortunate, I think it's a cop-out to say it's hard to build a brand, so I'm just not going to do it because it's not worth the time, which I think that that's where it comes to. It's like a cop-out of saying, well, gosh, it just takes so much time. Like, I'm not going to get the results right away. Like, I don't have enough time, so I'm just not going to do it, which I think is a cop-out as well because I think it's so necessary. But to the point of, you know, the positioning and the building like the, the, the website and the, the photography and all that type of stuff, what does someone need to do? Like, what are some of those steps that people can do? Because I think that the challenge is that wealth management individuals, they know how to analyze and they know how to sell, but they don't necessarily know how to sell themselves, themselves. Mm-hmm. which is so crazy, right? But like, we are selling ourselves every day, but we don't know how to sell ourselves in like a social environment. And yeah. I think that we're always trying to put a veil over us when we are public because we don't, we're we're very concerned about because we're dealing with people's money. So people are very scared about being authentic and vulnerable, et cetera, which is one of some of those aspects that you have to be to create that consistency, as you said, of in-person versus online. 
Yeah. Well, you bring up some good points. There's also some additional layers of approval that just happen to exist in this industry and other professional industries, lawyers, doctors, et cetera. So I would say step number one is make sure you're fully aware of what you're allowed to say and what you're not allowed to say. I don't necessarily know those things as a brand strategist. I'll typically push the limit. Like I'll, I'll get to the edge of, you know, trademark, copyright, et cetera, when it gets into some of the legal stuff. But it's important to know what the rules are for your industry, rules and regulations. I'd say step number one. Step number two is really thinking about social media and building an online brand from a selfish standpoint. And I'll explain what I mean. This is going to make sense for you, Matt, because you already do it, even if you don't realize it. But social media and content creation are opportunities to really be discovered by brand new people that could become clients, they could become friends, they could be passive consumers of whatever you create. They could also ignore your brand if what you create doesn't resonate with them. And that's fine. It's exactly like real life. You're not going to hit it off with everyone, but you are going to hit it off with someone. And social media still to this day, even though algorithms are changing and it becomes harder and harder to be discovered, there's still huge opportunity to create something from scratch that becomes something, you know, can become something that complements your business. An example for me is, I mean, yes, I've been a brand strategist for over 10 years now, but only in the last two years, only in the last two years have I created a separate vertical within my business, which is based on content creation, essentially working mm -hmm. as a creator to support brands like Adobe and Adobe Express is my biggest partnership. But these brands hire me to create content that promotes their platforms, totally separate from my agency. I've also seen tons of people on TikTok, Instagram, LinkedIn, in the financial world that have landed similar opportunities. If you build a base, you, you, you use social media as an opportunity to showcase your expertise, that can become very powerful. And it doesn't necessarily need to promote what you do one-on-one. -on -one. I don't find branding clients through social media. Actually, that's not true. I have found a few, but that's not my goal. But I certainly have, have grown an audience sharing tips for branding, reviews on the latest AI tools and tips, you know, design, social media. I've built my own brand that, that coexists as a separate vertical, vertical, but it interconnected with what I do. And that's been really interesting. So I think, I think um, be open to, to how those opportunities can unfold in a way that you might not expect. Be selfish. So I feel like it won't take a lot of time in your head. It won't, it's not going to seem like it takes a lot of time if you get a lot from the process of creating. And a podcast, Matt, is the perfect example. You gave this example already in our conversation. Had you emailed me and said, Phil, I found you on the internet and you seem awesome. I want to pick your brain to learn your strategies. Can we schedule it? I'd say, honestly, I'm really busy. I probably can't. I mean, unless it's a referral or unless you said I want to become a client of yours, then that changes the dynamic. But yet you email me and say, let's, let's connect and record an episode of my podcast. You all of a sudden became my lowest priority, my highest priority, because you are giving me platform. You are giving, mm. you are sharing your audience with me and we are connecting. And who knows where this, this relationship that starts today can go. You might refer clients to me. I might refer clients to you. Podcasting has been an amazing way that I've reconnected with old clients of mine. Hey, come on and share your expertise. And the client at the end of the call goes, by the way, I need to hire you to redo my website. Fantastic. 
one podcast episode. I, I have a co-host on mine. She writes a blog post, notes, before the po podcast even ends. She has notes that we can then shoot into an AI tool to at least get a draft that we'll then edit. I take that those notes, that blog post that goes live on our website, and turn it into a YouTube video. I post twice a week on YouTube. I'll then, by that point, very familiar with the content, can turn it into two or three Instagram posts. Then we very quickly create some pins to put it on Pinterest where it lives for a long time and can continue to send traffic years later. So be selfish about this. It's not about putting all this time and effort into hopefully being found online. Use this as a way to complement your business. Use it as a way that is rewarding for you, something that, get, something that brings you value in the process. So much gold there. I love the the you know what you were just alluding to in my mind, and and I think that how you're referring to it is like this omni-channel of content, right? How do I take yes. one piece of content and turn it into multiple pieces where I don't have to work so hard to create? So everybody's like, well, I don't know how to think about content. Well, just go find people you're talking to. It can be clients, yeah. it can be COIs, it can be whoever, and just have a conversation that you would have. And likely there's going to be some really rich content from there that then you can create into bite size and put on the multiple mediums. But I think that the other avenue that you mentioned earlier in that comment was how I inferred it or took it is this idea that I don't do social to try to drive clients. I do it to grow awareness. And mm -hmm. like there's multiple channels. Like you have to understand what is the goal that you're having with social. And I think too many people come into content creation and brand building of saying, I'm going to go start an Instagram channel or be, be more prolific on LinkedIn. And I'm going to just all of a sudden generate more leads. It's kind of like the old adage when, when websites were like brand new and everybody was trying to build a cool website. So it's like, once I launched a website, the old joke was like, you launch a website, you just sit by the phone waiting for it to ring. Right. Like all the clients are going to find you. Like, that's not happening. There has to be a middle ground. I was actually just talking with a coaching client about this. So saying like, what is your social strategy? Is it a drive to a newsletter that you can then nurture them to then drive them to a course and then drive them to become a client? Like, what is that funnel from that standpoint? And I think that having that different perspective is so key from that standpoint. I love the idea of being selfish. Like, I do this because it's selfish. I love learning from smart people. This is selfish to me. Because yeah. I'm learning every day. Like I research our guests. I have a conversation with them. I get to ask them questions that I want to know about, that others I think want to know about, and it's shown that they do. And so then it gets into content creation, right? We're talking about omnichannel being selfish. And I think that authentic is a part of it. But you know, when you think about building a content strategy, right? We talk about it. You and I know it because we do it a lot every day. But it, you know, a wealth manager may not do it a lot and it seems overwhelming. So what are some of those steps that we can help start people right at the beginner stage to build really engaging content and get away from being afraid of doing it because they don't know people want to hear it and just doing it because they selfishly think it's really interesting and other people will too. Secretly. I can't think of a better job than wealth management as a conduit for listening and learning your customers' pain points. I mean, that's got to be in, you know, this year, that's got to be still one of the highest touch jobs. My, my banker called me yesterday just to touch base on a few things. Like, who else calls me? Maybe my accountant, but otherwise they would just send an email. But, but my banker, for the reasons that you describe, it's like he's going to pick up the phone and call me versus send an email. It's a little bit... 
I don't know, he, he, he wants me to feel confident in that relationship and that to remind me with his voice that he's thinking about me. I mean, honestly, I don't think there are that many higher touch occupations nowadays. So, so the reason that's so valuable is that your listener is literally having conversations every day with their clients, but also with their ideal audience. So the, the, the questions that your clients are asking you are the questions that a lot of other people are asking on the internet and going to the internet for resources on. And don't let technology confuse this. So what I mean is like, you don't need to be using chat GPT by tomorrow to generate your caption ideas and all of this nonsense. Honestly, I'm a fan of analog. I'm a fan of simple methods of tracking those ideas, those conversations. I'll give you an example. I have blank pieces of white paper on my desk that I will literally in the middle of a call or in the middle of an interview with you, I will jot down an idea in my scribble penmanship. It's not great, but I can read it. And I literally, that is how I will remember something from a conversation that can become a great social media post or a podcast episode. So this one is, this one says real about creating on the road. I travel a lot. So people are always like, Phil, how do you pump out like 4k, like high quality videos while you're traveling? Good question. And I can probably answer that better in a little video that a hundred other people are wondering. And by creating that content, I get to use hashtags that are relevant in that industry. And it means that I'm going to be discovered as someone who talks about those things. Don't let, don't let technology get in the way of this or become an excuse or a distraction. Keep it simple. The, the core of this is listening to your audience and taking inventory, quickly getting your ideas from here. Your brain is not for storing ideas. Your brain is for generating them, right? You want to you wanna write down those ideas or you want to jot them down on your phone or get them into your inbox. There's a few ways of doing that. You want to get those ideas out of your brain and somewhere that you can take action on them. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm a huge fan of that. And I've been kind of a big proponent or, and cheerleader to the, the second brain idea that Tiago Forte in his book, Building a Second yes. Brain, has come out that has changed the ability for me to get ideas onto paper and then organize them later. Everybody feels they have to have this perfect process to, to get your ideas out, to process those ideas, to build those ideas before ever getting started. And it's just a matter of just like, get started, have a note card or a sticky note or a piece of paper, like you're saying. Now, you know, I have one more question on this and I want to get into platforms because I also want to touch on some, uh, some of the guests that you had on, on your brand therapy podcast. And they're, they're talking about some platforms and I have some questions on, on that side, but before we get there, to wrap this up, being selfish is doing things that make you know intrigue you. You write about, you research things that you like, but then you also have this aspect of vulnerability. And I mentioned it a little bit earlier is that you still have to be vulnerable. Like you have to be authentic and vulnerable. Yeah. I think that they are kind of meshed together. Our industry, and I, you know, you know our industry a little bit, but we've also we've been very shy about being vulnerable because we have yeah. to be the ones that know it all. Because people come to us about their life savings. They need yeah. us to provide them that insight. So, you know, in your mind, are there boundaries of like where you hold yourself back? When you think about that of building a personal brand, being authentic, what are those boundaries that you put in of like, whoa, you're becoming too vulnerable or too authentic? Or is that ever reached? 
uh, or, or where you you're like you're just not being yourself. Like, what do those boundaries look like to get to authenticity that really resonates, as opposed to maybe creeps people out or or freaks people out and scares them away? That's a really good question, and I think the boundaries. We're gonna let's explore this because I don't want to give an answer that's not satisfying. The not satisfying answer would be that those boundaries are different for everyone. The more satisfying answer I'd say is, I guess, encouraging people to explore and experiment with what those boundaries look like from the perspective of your audience. So it's really important to not go into this going, okay, this person gave me advice. So this is the strategy that I'm going to implement. Even the person giving you advice doesn't necessarily know the answer. We don't know the answer on what kind of content is going to perform the best. We'll come to you with ideas on what we think you should experiment with, put your own spin on, try it a few times, see how people respond and adjust accordingly. The thing that you should always root back to is what is it your audience wants from you? And I know for a fact, I mean, I I want a financial advisor, for example, that is confident, but I also want them to be human. I don't want them to be robotic. So I would say as we're exploring this concept of vulnerability, we, we have to think about your personality when we break this down into a science. Content is what you say. Personality is the unique way that you and only you deliver that content. You see, so whenever whenever we think things are hard, do you notice how I always have a way of breaking them down into a way that we can totally understand them so it feels less I love. I mean, it's, a, it's actually, it's a, a skill. It's an incredible skill. I, I love well, it. Well, thank you. It's a way that I'm able to teach. And I also am sensitive or I, I guess empathetic to the idea of this feeling overwhelming, particularly for busy working professionals. So I've had a few years at coming up with these things. And if we can just make it feel a little more doable, a little less overwhelming, it can become really, really powerful. I would say that, you know, the, the, the exploration of vulnerability as we think about content, what you say, personality, the unique way that you and only you deliver that, that content. And then we just, we, we root this back to what are their goals, right? What are, what, what is your audience's goals? What are your goals? How do we balance that? How do we deliver them an experience online and off that, yes, gives them confidence that you're the right person to be managing their money or giving advice? But also remember, we value human-to-human interaction. So those little moments of vulnerability, of, of admitting, you know, I don't know, maybe things didn't unfold the way you expected, but here's the positive or here's here's an interesting opportunity. Like if you can always kind of, experiment with that delicate balance, I think would be my advice. I don't necessarily, Mm. I couldn't in that case say, do it exactly this way. You're going to know, you're going to feel more confident as you build that self-awareness of how you communicate online and off. I think the one thing I can say is those experiences can be the same and should be the same. Achieving consistency between the in-person experience and the online version. Yeah, not trying to be someone different online because like you said, that creates a disconnect and it makes yeah. for the initial interaction to be really, really um, impactful in a bad way. And I, I think that there's this wealth management professionals are very analytical. And this is this gives you an opportunity to really kind of dive into that because you should be constantly looking to iterate. There is no perfect solution. There's no perfect investment allocation. There's no perfect 
marketing allocation or brand building strategy. And you should iterate. Like I get, I get ridiculed in our firm because I talk about like the process of let's just do this and iterate on it. Let's learn and let's move on. But that gives me the ability of analyzing. Let's get data. Let's analyze it. And let's go then make another decision. And that's how they should be thinking about their brand side of it. So I think that that's a, something you just have to get comfortable with. Now, switching gears for a second, I want to talk about platforms, right? The platforms to utilize. And you know, I want to give you a scenario, kind of like maybe I would give to ChatGPT, and, and you give me back the specific strategy that would work. The ideal client profile is an individual or a couple nearing retirement, uh, working another five to 10 years, and they have a 401k, they own a home, and they have a family. And I'm an advisor that wants to go and attract this individual. Net worth, whatever their net worth. Let's just say their net worth is, including their house, is a million dollars plus. Great. And I want to get into a social strategy. Which of all the social platforms should I be most focused on to start with for attracting that demographic? So the social platform that you should focus on, at least to start, is the one that you open on your phone when you're in line at the grocery store. And I'll explain. So gone are the days where you need to be on a certain platform to attract a certain audience. Everyone is everywhere nowadays. And so, yeah, sure, there might be more of a certain audience, in this case on LinkedIn, than on a platform like TikTok. But at the same time, I could challenge that and say, you're more likely to grow on TikTok, which has greater discoverability than LinkedIn at the moment, because there's less of you over there. And you also might be shocked by who responds to your content and your personality. Remember that content personality ratio. You might be shocked. I find myself, I actually don't open TikTok that often. I'm more of a YouTube guy. But I was on TikTok yesterday because a friend had forwarded me something and I found myself scrolling and watching bizarre but so interesting video like people making these really amazingly designed cakes and other people like doing like plumbing and stuff like that i'm like i'm so fascinated that i'm watching and engaging with this type of content i would have never expected to whereas when i go over on linkedin i'm there with a little bit more purpose i'm connecting professionally i'm maintaining those relationships that i have I prioritize the platforms that I actually enjoy spending time on. So for me, that's YouTube. I watch a lot of YouTube videos. I know one of your questions coming up is what book would you recommend? And that I'm so happy you asked that ahead of time because even though I have books in the frame of my video, I'm like absolutely not a reader. <laughs> but don't worry, I haven't answered the question. Uh, only because you told me ahead of time. Um, <laughs> I'm a video watcher. I'm a video watcher and a blog reader, you know. Um, and so so YouTube, I absolutely love. And I built an audience. And, you know, it's growing every day on YouTube. And I really enjoy the process of creating content. So less worried about where you should be based on where your audience is, more worried about where are you going to enjoy creating content sustainably. I love that. I think that the, I, I just think that idea of, again, being authentic to yourself, being selfish, like if you don't like Facebook, then you probably shouldn't be posting on Facebook, despite what everybody's telling you. And, you know, so I'm a LinkedIn person. I love LinkedIn. I think that that's great. But I'm trying to get into my second realm of it, whether it's Instagram or Twitter. And to be honest, I deleted Instagram for personal reasons. But now I 
you know, my wife is on it all the time. So I think I need to get back in it and I'm missing out. I feel like a little bit of FOMO from it. But my question on, on Twitter, I want to ask about specifically because I just read a headline in an article from someone that basically said that Twitter is going to be gone in, in six months. What's your thought? Is Twitter dead now? Is is like is it even worthwhile spending time building a Twitter strategy, or is it like that platform is so past its day that it's not even worth it? Yeah, good question. I don't necessarily know the answer to this. I guess only from a personal anecdote position. I seem like the right person to ask about this. 2014, I actually wrote and published a book called Shut Up and Tweet. And so Twitter used to be my social media platform of choice. And over the years, as visual platforms became a little more prevalent, then I, my time on Twitter started to dwindle and I dedicated that time to Instagram uh, and, and then YouTube. And for now, those two platforms definitely occupy the majority of my time as a content creator. That being said, I'll hop over to Twitter now very passively. I get a lot of just information on news and culture and technology is something I post about on YouTube a lot. So I'll go over to Twitter to sit in on the latest threads and conversations around what's happening in emerging technology, AI, stuff like that. But I tweet far less than I used to. Now I'm mostly just listening in on the conversations other people are having. I have another friend who's a very, very entrepreneurial and really just didn't find his flow on social media until he landed on Twitter and has grown quickly on Twitter because he's engaging very authentically in a lot of conversations that, in his case, other tech bros are having. But I said, it's just so perfect for him. He's totally, he's found his like kind of purpose. And and again, I would argue that social media is selfish in his case. He's getting more from it than he's putting in. And that's really cool. So I don't know. I guess I gave you two different perspectives there. You know, a friend of mine that absolutely loves it and spends more time there than any other social media platform. For me, I don't find it quite as exciting. I am nervous about the investment. Uh, if we're going to bring it back to your terms, I'm nervous about the investment right now if you're, if you're investing from scratch based on how volatile it is with Elon and with just, um, you know, changing trends, I'd say. I think... Twitter in media and in, in entertainment and culture still has its role, but not quite of a stronghold that it once had. That is uh, that's a good answer, and I'm gonna I you know I'm gonna be that that uh, pushy nudgy host, and I'm gonna put you on the spot because one day we can come back to it and say, you know, you called it. Because, I mean, there's no better person to ask than someone that wrote a book that says shut up and tweet, right? That's called shut up and tweet. There's no better word. So yes or no, Twitter makes it in the next five years. Uh, I would be more likely to say no than yes. Wow. All right. We, yeah. You heard it here first. Five on Bridging years the is Gap. a long time in the entertainment world and, and media world, social media. I mean, five years is a lifetime. So when you look at the trends, I don't know. I thought when they brought, when they banned Donald Trump, I actually thought that would create the demise of Twitter because he was so just captivating for better or for worse. I thought that would be the end. So that plus Elon Musk, it's kind of like, I think people will gradually migrate away. Yeah. Five years is a long time. So if I had to bet, I would say no. 
All right. What's the over under? Two years? Would you take the over or the under? Mm, I might take the over barely at two years. I love this game. I may bring some of these types of games back in. These yeah, are fun. I, I like it too. Game shows, I like it too. Going to game shows. I like this. Because what's the risk, right? There's no risk. All right. I no. want to ask one more question on platforms, and then I and then we're going to wrap this up, and I'm going to let you get back to making the impact, the positive impact you're making in this world. I, I was listening to your, your podcast, Brand Therapy, which if you haven't listened to it, you should go listen. It's a phenomenal podcast, and it's like it's short, it's to the point, and it's so much rich of value. And I think short isn't a bad thing. It's like just it's rich with value and content. You Thank can listen you. to a lot of them really quickly. It's like you can binge listen. Like you just binge watch Netflix 30 minute episodes like Ted Lasso. I can binge watch because they're only 30 minutes. You had uh, Daniela and I'm I, I'm not even going to try to pronounce her last name. I it's a long last uh, name. It, but she's from Elas Marketing. Elas Marketing. And y'all were talking about Instagram. And I love the positioning that you I think it was your co-host Lauren, I think is, is her yeah. name, posed the question of saying, hypothetically, there's someone that has a brand and it's not getting any growth, but they're still posting. And you were talking about why would that be? And and Daniela was talking about how it's about the content is right, is the bio up to speed. And so I want to ask this because I'm a believer in Instagram. I think that there's so much value. And I think that a lot of our clients live there because they want to follow mm-hmm. their grandkids. They want to follow their kids, et cetera. There's a lot of pictures. As a brand builder, content creator, what are some of those ways that you took away from Daniela and from your own personal experience, along with is the content right and is your bio right, that we can utilize to create a great, thriving, invaluable, impactful brand on Instagram? Yeah. Well, I'm so happy you caught that episode. I, I brought Daniela on. She's in, a, I would say, kind of like this little circle of friends and really inspirational Instagram creators. So she's a creator on Instagram about Instagram. Danielle is one of those um, at the Lucas O'Keefe, at uh, Marketing Harry. I'd say those three are kind of my go-tos for all of you know living and breathing Instagram strategy for growth. Daniela specifically is the best person I know at creating community. So that's why mm. I had her on because I thought, how? It's amazing. She has over 100,000 followers, and yet almost every single time little old me posts on Instagram, she comments. And she does it really thoughtfully, and she just amazes me. And so I needed to know from her, like, how do you structure your day? How do you have time for this? And basically her answer was, Phil, I make time for the people that matter to me. And I just thought that was really amazing, and I think she's disciplined. I think she thrives on structure. I think that probably goes the same for any of my friends that have experienced really huge growth on Instagram. Also, I would say be realistic about your goals. Like, yes, I would love to grow on Instagram, but the actions that I'm taking in my life will not lead to growth in the hundreds of thousands of followers on the platform because, Matt, I prioritize YouTube. YouTube is more important for me as a platform in my business than Instagram is. Instagram really is split between, hey, let me give you some advice and some thoughts, you know, derived from content I'm already creating for a few other places, mixed with, hey, this is my life. I got food poisoning yesterday. This is my life. I've been working out a little more. Here are my results. You know, hey, I'm traveling next month. Like, I... If I, if I limited some of the personal stuff and lean more into 100% strategy or 90% strategy, I could probably grow faster. But that's not really how I use Instagram or want to use Instagram. I kind of like how I'm using it right now. 
by you know staying on the radar of of people that are really important to me. Last thought on this. Anyways, Daniela, that episode is a really good one to listen to. Another one of my friends I mentioned, V. Lucas O'Keefe, he and I just did a collab post recently where we both published together uh, a post. And I always say to Lucas, I say, oh my God, I'm jealous. It's 235,000 followers. It's absolutely incredible when you think about the reach. Like the number of people that will see one post that he publishes is more than a town or a city in some cases. It like blows my mind. But he'll always say to me, Phil, I, I feel the way, that way about you. Even if you don't have the numbers, you have a really valuable audience. He knows from any time we collaborate, he'll get followers, he'll get people that will say, I found you through Phil. I love, you know, really just high quality and people that are willing to buy, you know, people that are willing to take action, really loyal followers. And that's true. I do have those people. So it's always like grass seems greener on the other side. It's not just about numbers. It's really about knowing your, your goals on how you want to use that platform. And that can be totally different. And, and it yeah. doesn't, you don't need to have hundreds of thousands of followers to make that platform worthwhile. You can have you can have ten followers, but if they're always buying everything that you're selling, then you've got ten great quality people uh, from that standpoint. And, and when I think about this as seen as a as a as a wealth manager or wealth management professional, you know, I think about you know you talked about structure and schedule and focus on the people I care for, right? You know, some ideas that advisors can think about is like is follow your clients, follow your 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 vendors that you're utilizing, follow the your COIs. And, and interact with them, right? Your clients, if they're on a trip, like post a very thoughtful comment and, and then their friends see that you're commenting and then that's building a brand, right? That you're now expanding your reach and you're showing that you're, you're surprising and delighting your clients on a platform where they live and showing them that you care about them. And it means a lot. It, it just means yeah. a lot. And if you can schedule and structure your day to put 10, 15, 20 minutes on it, that is worthwhile. And then share something about you, and your trip and everything of that nature. And that's how you build a brand in this specific business using these networks. And it's different than LinkedIn and it's different than Instagram. And just understanding that is really key. Phil, I, you know, I, I, dedic- I, I committed to us uh, sticking true to a time and, you know, I could, I've got questions. I, I didn't even get to, I had another podcast of yours that I listened to with the, uh, with Lucy Werner, the hype queen, mm-hmm. which is incredible. I mean, so many that I wanted to get into, but We'll say that for having you on again. Maybe we'll do like an Instagram. I don't know. They call them Instagram lives or whatever they do. We can do yeah. a Facebook live or whatever. Maybe we'll do something cool. We'll think about it. But I want to, before I let you go, ask my two questions I ask all my guests. And the first one, you alluded to it. I'm actually going to ask you what is one of those favorite books of yours that you've read that's coming from me being selfish because I'm a lifelong learner and I love to read. That's one of the ways I do it. So what's what's one of those books that you think everybody can read? And I'm going to have a I have a one B question to this one A one that I always ask. Great. Well, well, let's see what your set. What, let's see what your B question is because I decided that it wouldn't be fair for me to give a book recommendation if it's something I haven't read. I have a few books where I've like gone in and read certain chapters or pulled little excerpts. The book that sits on my desk every single day that I look at and I use. It's not a book that you read, but it is a book that helps you self-reflect and become self-aware, which I think is one of the most important parts of building a brand. That is The 5-Minute Journal. Um, The 5-Minute Journal is one of my very, very favorite brands offline. So the physical journal that you can buy, and it, it gives you these really simple, amazing prompts. I'm skipping ahead so you can just see it at least on the video here. But like questions like, what would make today great? daily affirmation. I am grateful for, and then you fill it in. It's just a really good prompt little thing that gets you thinking 
also their brand on Instagram is absolutely incredible. It's probably my number one hero brand. So I told you I had an answer ready. And it wasn't the traditional answer because I honestly don't read. I read blogs. I read short form content. But to, for a book, I'll pack it. I'll buy it on Amazon. And then I'll sit it on the shelf. And I just like how it looks. I'm terrible. I, but I love that answer. No, I mean, that is like outside the box, creative answer. I'm a huge <laughs> journaler. Journaling has changed my life drastically. I mean, I'm going to cool. do a whole, I'm going to do a presentation, a podcast on it eventually uh, and video material, but journaling, I mean, I've got three journals here because I've got multiple things I journal about, journal to people I journal to everything. It's, it's life changing. So I love that. My one B, which I didn't prepare you with, but you mentioned that you're a big blog reader. What is the best blog out there? What's your favorite blog you're reading today? Yeah. So a lot of times I'm looking for specific answers on, for example, what has Instagram updated this month? My best performing video every month is typically related to Instagram updates. So those have to be very timely. A lot of times I'm updating that video and what goes into it the day before it gets published. So I have a handful of like social media blogs, probably relevant to what we've been talking about that I like. Later is a scheduling, a social media scheduling platform. I actually don't love the app. Um, you can tell they don't pay me. Um, I don't love the app, but I absolutely love their blog. I think it's one of the best blogs ever done on social media, the later app. Um, their blog is really awesome for Instagram content. What else? Uh, social media marketing world or social media examiner is, is that's the conference, but social media examiner is a blog is another really good one. Those are the ones I'd say I frequent the most when I'm looking for updates on on social media, on Instagram and other platforms. Love that. Love that. Last question that I ask all my guests. We talked for a long time, talked about a lot of things here. If there's one thing that you want our listeners to walk away with, one actual piece of advice from our conversation that you hope they can go and they can execute tomorrow to make them better and their strategy better, what would that be? I'm going to make up a quote based on this conversation. Branding or the process of branding is not difficult if you know the tangible process or the tangible steps. Position your brand, build something to show for it, and then promote it. Stick the for sale sign out front of that house and take it to market. Love it. All right, before we let you go, how can people continue to follow you, stay in touch with you, maybe work with you? Because I know there's going to be plenty of people out there that want to continue to learn from everything that you've got going on. That's very kind. I've also really enjoyed this conversation. So philpallon.co slash freebies. I have 10 free digital downloads there, eBooks, worksheets, all geared towards building, identifying your brand, content ideas. My, my um, most downloaded freebie is 100 evergreen content ideas. It's been downloaded over 25,000 times. Blows my wow. mind. Yeah. That's a great place to go just to start to explore some of those resources that I've made available for free for people. We have a podcast, as you mentioned. Thank you so much for listening to it, Brand Therapy. You know, we learn, same as you, we learn so much by having conversations with experts. And sometimes Lauren and I, my co-host, just talk together, just the two of us about a certain topic. And we have a lot of fun with that. My website, philpallon.co slash projects, has over 65 personal branding, company branding, startup branding examples, clients we've worked with in over a decade. So even if you're wanting to get some inspiration for your own brand, you're welcome to hop over to our website to get that. Phil Pound, man, this was awesome. 
I am. You're a rock star. You, uh, you're, you're incredible. So I appreciate you taking such valuable time to spend it with, with us here on Bridging the Gap. I'm super appreciative and hope to be able to repay the favor in the future. So thanks so much, man. And you stay well, all right? Thank you so much for having me. I've enjoyed every minute of this. It's been a pleasure and I, I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. 